He learned the game from his uncle James. Now he's heir to the name. We are the Spy-Fi Guys, and this is James Bond Jr. Welcome to the Spy-Fi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And today we are starting what we're going to be calling our rerun summer. We'll be covering spy TV shows from across the ages. So stuff like Saturday morning cartoons like this, all the way up to recent shows like Burn Notice. I guess Burn Notice isn't really recent though anymore, is it? Unfortunately not. But this (laughs) one we are covering this week is James Bond Jr., the yes. cartoon. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure this was my first exposure to James Bond, like the franchise in general. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I didn't watch any of the f- films until like 2002 or so. Oh, and a legend was born. From yeah. It. Yeah. So James Bond Jr. This is a cartoon which was created in conjunction with MGM and Eon Productions. Have you had you ever seen it before? I knew nothing about it. I think I was vaguely aware that it existed. Yeah. I had heard the theme song from your ringtone. Yes, for a while, this was my ringtone. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I rem- also asked you about it once because the whole idea of a James Bond cartoon kind of threw me because yeah. he kills people mm-hmm. and he sleeps with strange women and he has mm-hmm. gadgets. So how are those going to translate into a cartoon? Of those three, only one of them (laughs) enters in play here. Yeah, what is interesting how James Bond movies are cross-generational and like kids Mm -hmm. watch them. Like I watched them when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So a cartoon makes sense. Yeah. And And so this this is the only one. Yep. And this took place in between uh, Timothy Dalton and and, uh, Pierce Brosnan's reigns as james bond so there was a lull in the franchise and i think they realized this is also what 1990s early 90s so this was the age of like basically the second second or third wave of cart of children's cartoons you had the 60s and then you had the 80s and now you have the 90s where they were like batman the animated series among other many good cartoons in the 90s well i was going to say it reminds me of teenage mutant ninja turtles I know. I'm sorry, and, I said I'm saying it wasn't of that caliber, but no, no, it was I, of that I era. know, I know. Well, it's also a step above Captain Planet. It reminded me a lot of Captain Planet as well. I can see that. Yeah, no, yeah. So it was made during that era. It was made in conjunction with um, MGM and um, Eon, who holds the rights to James Bond, or at least the film and TV rights. So, shall we get into this? Here is the IMDb summary for the series. The nephew of MI6's greatest spy carries on his uncle's legacy by combating a rogues gallery of new and familiar villains with the help of his schoolmates. Yep. We covered two episodes for this podcast, uh, which is the very first episode called The Beginning and the what is it, the seventh episode, I believe, uh, which is called The Eiffel Missile. Is it the seventh? Right. Double check that before. That is the ninth episode. Oh. Okay, episode. the ninth episode. All right, but let's start with the beginning. All right, here is the IMDb summary for episode one, the beginning. En route to his new school, Warfield Academy, Bond Jr. is chased by scum who is interested in stealing the Aston Martin DB5. So I guess they just give away that twist about the car right away. First thing I noticed, it did say United Artists, which was one of the distributor for James Bond at the time. We have the DB5. 
and it was nice to see it here. I wasn't. This is not my first time seeing these episodes. I'm the ones who actually picked out these episodes, but the first time I saw it, I was very surprised to see the DB5. Yeah, and the music is like Star Wars Squadrons, where it's vaguely Bond sounding, <laughs> but is not, in fact, Bond. Okay, I'm going to take a detour here. I don't think that Star Wars, really Star Wars Squadrons, you had a problem with the music? Well, I didn't say I had a problem with it. Yeah. But also, it's not just Star Wars Squadrons, it's also Rogue One, where they play music uh, that sounds very similar to classic John Williams Star Wars score, but doesn't quite get there. There's a whole complicated history of the James Bond theme itself, which we will not go into here. Um, mm-hmm. I probably touched on it briefly when we did Dr. No, but suffice to say that they were they were going to use sort of like a new version of it, and then the rights were basically very complicated, so they went with this instead. Yeah, but this scene is very much a cartoon version of the classic James Bond cold open. Oh, definitely, definitely. So there's a car chase... Someone is chasing the DB5. There's another car. It has a car-mounted laser. And yes, then, yes, lasers. Because you mm-hmm. can't have guns in a children's cartoon. Unless Even one Batman, about James the Bond. Series. Yes, unless you have deep magic. <laughs> yeah. Like Batman yeah. animated series. Mm-hmm. But yes, no, every other cartoon of this era, including any of the, like, what, the Marvel cartoons of this era, era like Spider-Man or Iron Man, anything else, all had lasers. No one else had guns. Chasing the DB5, it goes up a ramp, and this is classic Bond. I think it even calls back to pretty much the same scene in License or uh, Living Daylights, where he drives with the help of like a rocket over a ramp, and then the car chasing him gets stuck. Yes, that's right. That yeah. does happen. In this scene, we meet James Bond Jr., and I would yeah. like to talk to him. I would like to talk to him, but I would also like to talk about him. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. So first of all. He is, in fact, British because yeah. this is an American cartoon. Mm-hmm. Or actually, it's not an American because it looks like an American cartoon. I was it was effectively him, American. Yeah. Right. I was expecting him to be American because, <laughs> because that's what Americans do. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that he was British. But his voice. Yes. I just don't. How do you feel about his voice? I was fine with it. Now, hold like, on. who was his voice actor? Well, the voice actor is probably doing a voice, obviously, but I felt like his voice was higher pitched and his accent didn't he didn't really sound like the way James Bond talks. I mean, which James Bond? Well, the Sean Connery, the best James Bond. Okay, well, remind yourself this era. So this is pre-Pierce Brosnan. Mm -hmm. So the longest running Bond at this point uh, and. You know, all right, there was a blip of a few years of Timothy Dalton, but you ha- Roger Moore was probably the most commonly seen Bond by this point. Well, that was the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is that James Bond Jr. doesn't look like a James Bond. And I was kind of expecting oh. that to happen. Okay, but likeness rights? Come on. <laughs> well, it, it could have looked more like... He looks like Wheeler from Captain Planet. I've always thought he weirdly looked like an early, uh, like a young Brosnan. Well, I guess maybe the audience can weigh in on what yeah. they feel. But if he does look like an early Brosnan, it wasn't intentional because Brosnan hadn't started yet. Mm. But he was, oh. I think about this era, he was at least already famous for uh, Remington Steel, I think. So and well, he, sure. his name had already come up, I think. It, well, actually, no, by this era, he almost had the role. He was supposed to be it before Dalton. Okay, so, so maybe... he was already in association. So who knows? Going well, to... hang on. Yeah. I have more to say about James uh, Bond. Yeah, I also do. <laughs> I just want to say that his uh-huh. voice actor was Corey Burton, who's voiced a lot of different things. 
Okay. So I also want to talk about his look. So first of all, I expected him to be wearing a tuxedo because that's what James Bond wears. And I know he wears one later. We'll talk about that at the time. But he dresses like Marty McFly. He dresses like a teenager, which is what he's supposed to be. Well, I also was not expecting him to be a teenager. I was expecting him to be like a kid. Uh, (laughs) And yet you expected a kid to be dressed in a tuxedo. Yes, that's exactly correct. I was expecting you wanted him... the boss baby. No, no, no not that little. <laughs> not that little. I was expecting him to look like Tom Holland's character from Spies in Disguise. Uh... So, like a short kid wearing a tuxedo in a jetpack. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's what I picture when I picture James Bond Jr. And this is why I'm glad you didn't make it. Didn't make? Oh, didn't make the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose that's fine. Is that it? Is that all I had to say? Uh... Well. It works that he's a teenager because he can mm-hmm. drive. Yeah. He, he just sounds younger than that. Um, I don't know. I don't know what you're complaining about. It's not really a complaint. I just think it's interesting character choices for the way that the character looks. He just doesn't really look like James Bond per se. I feel. On the one hand, yes. On the other hand, you got to remember this is a cartoon for kids. So one, he's got to have a distinctive look so that if they make an action figure of him and also brand and branding you just if you have that distinctive look for him that's not just spy in a tuxedo as much as that works for james bond senior yeah i guess he needs a look that's different from james bond senior. and also something that's easy to draw well the cartoon characters wear the same clothes every day that's that's, uh, that's what i mean yeah okay all right i think i've sidetracked us enough we can get back to the episode <laughs> all right i mean this is the first episode so you know we hit, yeah, we hear for the first of many bad puns. I don't remember what this one was, but I just have here puns and more puns. And then he drives the DB5 off a cliff. So does the DB5 fly in a movie? No. Because I didn't remember that. Do other cars <laughs> fly in a movie? Um, yes, actually, Scaramanga's car flies. Okay. But the DB5 goes underwater, right? No. Some other car goes underwater. Yes, that's the Lotus Esprit. Oh, okay. Get the first line from Scumlord, who is basically our stand-in Blowfield here. Yes, very clearly. (laughs) uh, Except he has a dog instead of a cat. And he says, goodbye, young Bond. And that's when they presses the button for a flight conversion where the car flies. Like, the way they set this up was very much like the uh, parachute jump in uh, Mm -hmm. Spy Who Loved Me, where it drives off the cliff, no music, and then the you know the stunt happens and then yeah we yeah folk theme song it's just so dead i love it yeah this opening is the best part which is often the case (laughs) with cartoons it's exciting the music's really catchy it tells you about the character just Mm -hmm. enough that's all you need to know a couple things i noticed from the lyrics is his uncle james yeah i'm not going to be difficult and give the show a hard time for his name being james bond jr but his uncle is james bond whatever yeah he could be James Bond the second, but that's not as catchy. Well, clearly, James Bond and his brother are both named James Bond. Mm. It's like a George is, Foreman situation. Is that how you... All right, if you want to headcanon it that way. I mean, for me, I've always been of the assumption that, yeah, that's not really his uncle. <laughs> well, sure. There's <laughs> that, too. But then also in the show, I was like, oh, so his name is actually James Bond Jr., I thought, yes. not that it was a code name, but like he is a <laughs> oh, Bond and everyone calls him James Bond because he's a spy and he's related to James Bond. Not that he is literally, his name is actually James Bond Jr. But whatever. 
So the other observation <laughs> is yes. the, 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 there's the lyric rescues the girl. So I was like, okay, yes. so there is a little bit of like romance, mm-hmm. sexy sexiness or whatever. And then we see romance, all the yeah, sexy sexy yes no. Well, we'll get to that. And then the villains, they look like Captain Planet villains, Dick Tracy villains. That was great. <laughs> That's like 90s cartoon. Yeah, I really yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Actually, the lyrics also tell us that because they can't use Spectre at this point, now they have a substitute organization called Scum. Well, actually, I didn't get that. When they were like Scum or always trying to kill them or some, yeah. some lyric that's You thought like, it was just generic term Scum as in, yeah. But yes, no, it's that's correct. <laughs> that's why the villain's name is Scum Lord. Mm-hmm. I have it under my uh, spy fact versus fiction, and I was, eh. But might as well just say it here now. Scum stands for Saboteurs and Criminals United in Mayhem. That's a pretty good acronym. Mm-hmm. But yeah, after the credits, we go to Warfield Academy, where they're calling roll, and Bond is late. And of course, he has a perfect entrance. Flying mm-hmm. in on the DB5 and slides right into the parking spot. And this is where we get his first Bond, James Bond, Jr. So this was great. It's very something James Bond would do. Mm-hmm. Next, have him in the headmaster's office. The headmaster's name is uh, Mr. Milbanks, who's giving Bond a dressing down, or James a dressing down. I don't, it doesn't feel right to call him Bond. It, he's more of a James. We could call him Junior. We named the mm. dog Indiana. <laughs> anyway, so James is getting a dressing down. This is very much a like M dressing down Bond scene. Yes, of course. So he's confined to the school grounds, and we meet his gym teacher, Mr. Mitchell, who is former FBI who knows 007. I was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is this the whole thing? First of all, Mr. Yeah. Mitchell is at the FBI. Second, he knows James Bond. Can you give me a little bit more? But also, who are James Bond Jr.'s parents? Is that ever explained in the cartoon? Not in the cartoon, but I will get to it in Spy Fact versus Fiction. Okay, because I, I wanted a little bit more background of him, and we're not going to get it. This is obviously. all we get. Yeah, no. It meets his roommate, IQ, who is Horace Boothroyd, who is Q's grandson. At this point, I was like, oh boy. Is this like X-Men Evolution, where every character is the descendant of somebody? Basically, yes. Well, actually, no. I think that's about it. No, there's one more. Okay. Um, but I like here, there's a random reference to a three-minute egg, which is something from the novels. Like, Bond is very particular about how to cook his egg, boil his egg. It's a three-and-a-third-minute egg. So the fact that they pulled that out in, and put it in here, I was surprised. Oh, nice. I didn't catch that. Yeah, well, yep. And so he also meets Gordo Leiter, who's Felix Leiter's son. So there's your other one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. is he the surfer guy? Yeah, that's Gordo. Felix Leiter, um, who we've seen a few times in the Bond films we've covered. Of course, in Dr. No, played by Jack Lord. In No Time to Die, played by... Uh, oh, what's his World name? guy. Yeah, oh gosh, what is Jeffrey his Jeffrey something? Jeff- it's Jeffrey, Jeffrey something. Jeffrey Wright, yes. Yeah. And uh, in The Living Daylights, played by an actor whose name I do not remember because he was very forgettable. Well, I appreciate that in this cartoon, they didn't do the Felix Slater thing where you think he's a bad guy <laughs> for about two minutes. That would have been funny, actually. <laughs> I would have liked that. There's only 20 minutes. There's only so much they could cram into Fair it. Fair enough. So here we also meet Tracy Milbanks, who's the headmaster's daughter. Okay, meet- question. Yes. 
Yes. The headmaster is British. Why yes. does she have an American accent? Mm, that didn't bother me. I mean, maybe she was raised in the States. Maybe her mom's American. But it's just like, just why not just have her be British? I don't get it. Also, second question. <laughs> Do you think her name is Tracy because of Tracy Bond? I was wondering that. I've never found a definitive answer. Well, I think the implication is that they hook up. Maybe after the series is over. I don't think it's a coincidence. No. Not with that three-minute egg shit that the, the show just pulled. <laughs> they know what they're doing. Uh-huh. We also meet Phoebe Farragut, who is Tracy's best friend and apparently also filthy rich. Mm-hmm. And finally, the last of their the main cast of characters for this at Warfield is Trevor Noseworthy, who's like a stereotypical snooty Brit. Yeah, he's Malfoy. Mm-hmm. I was like, is he M's kid? Is that why he's being set up as like a bad guy? Well, not a bad guy, an antagonist. M's kid? Yeah. Why would he be M's kid and be an antagonist? Well, because M and Bond have a bit of an antagonistic relationship. Yeah, but they're not like this. Well, not to this level, but I was like, I expected him to be somebody's kid. How about M? Phoebe is not anyone's kid either. No. Oh, also, when they when Tracy and Bond meet, there's this romance music that plays. Mm-hmm. Did you notice this? I did notice that, yes. So, Scumlord is watching Bond with Jaws, who appears here, looking very different and also talking. Well, yeah, so what do we think? Is he the same Jaws yes, from the I'm movie? Yes, I'm going to assume he's the same Jaws. And he just feels like talking in the cartoon one before. He and didn't. he's also now back to being a bad guy, even though he turned good in Moonraker. Well, who knows when the show is set? <laughs> Maybe it's set out of order. Yeah, there's a lot of continuity problems with this show. Okay, I'm wait, not, theory. Uh, theory. Oh, boy. No. The, no, no, hang on. It's in the future. This is Jaws's kid. He becomes <laughs> a bad guy. That's why they have laser guns. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right. You know what? I thought you were going to go off on some codename bullshit again. Now, I know how you feel about that. <laughs> Jaws and Scumlord want the DB5. Apparently, there's an EMP generator inside the DB5. So this was really good. I actually yeah. really liked that that was the way the episode went. Because a I lot was... of the times, mm-hmm. in these cartoons, like the universe revolves around the main character, right? Uh-huh. The, the bad guys want to kill him for revenge, and everyone follows his lead. But in this case, he's just a means to an end. They really want the car, mm-hmm. and it makes perfect sense. The mm-hmm. whole EMP thing, like I don't know about that, but they'd be like, it's James Bond's car. It probably has cutting-edge technology. It probably has information in it. Well, I find it fascinating that the EMP thing, and uh, <laughs> this is basically the plot to Goldeneye. Yeah, there is that as well. <laughs> so but I just again, find that hilarious. With, yeah, a package arrives for James from 007. Um, and so Tracy helps him sneak out. We find out that Warfield apparently used to be a secret intelligence training base. And so there's a bunch mm. of secret passages in there, which somehow um, Mr. Milbanks doesn't know about. Sure, he doesn't. So Tracy and, and James sneak out. IQ drives the DB5 through the gates to meet them. And then Tra- uh, Bo- I need to fix this. And then James goes to the post office while Tracy waits in the car. As he's going, he and IQ go in to get the package and find there's nothing there. Jaws comes up, steals the car, and Tracy hides in the trunk. Do we actually see her hide in the trunk? Because I think I missed We it. see... We see her like see Jaws coming up and we see her like pull down the back seat and then go. we don't see her actually go into the trunk. But that, when we find her later, right. she says, I pulled down the back seat and hit in the trunk. 
Yes, she does. Yeah. Around here is when I made my connection with Tracy Bond. Uh, I've written down. Gordo and Phoebe come to get them, and I presume Gordo's uh, Jeep because he's a surfer bro who has a Jeep. And he's an American. Uh, so they go off and look for Tracy. Gordo brought a bunch of IQ's gear. Turns out part, one of the pieces of tech that he has is a thing that can track the DB5 and can also remote control it. I was like, this is too easy. <laughs> but it also makes sense that they have this stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, well, think back to Goldfinger. That was mm. one of the, aside from you know the ejection seat and machine guns, one of the features of the DB5 was the homing device back in the 60s. And now we're in the future, so they so definitely the D- have it. <laughs> so they track the DB5. They see it drive into a truck. James is going to go after it. IQ gives James the gadget watch that he has, which has a bunch of things, including a rocket and I think a laser. Gum cargo jet lands at the airfield that they're at. Jaws prepares to load the car into the planes, but James sabotages the truck and gets into the DB5. But before they can get away, Jaws catches them and puts them both in the trunk. Yeah, so it's like the classic James Bond capture and escape. You gotta have that. (laughs) And I I like the whole car onto the truck, truck onto the cargo plane. It feels like Fast and the Furious, where it's all about the cars. (laughs) Uh And I also like that he really can't fight Jaws very well. I mean, even James Bond Sr. couldn't, really. Yeah, that's what I was saying in... It, all the way back in October of last year when we did our draft, when uh-huh. I was like, the henchman is supposed to be able to overpower Bond. Mm-hmm. My Bond was Batman. So it's like, <laughs> so like Batman doesn't have much of a chance unless he uses a trick, which is exactly what they do mm-hmm. later. While they're in the trunk, James uses the laser watch to get out of the trunk, and they tr- are attempting to fly away, but apparently in his lax flight, James damaged the flight conversion apparatus, so they can't. So instead, they tr- just basically try to ram Jaws with the car, which yeah. doesn't work. He doesn't even have is barely hurt. He even bites a piece of the bumper off. That was great. It's like uh, this is kind of a questionable plan, but what else are they going to do? <laughs> right. So James decides, all right, when all else fails, I'm going to press some other buttons. He uses the extending bumper to try to knock Jaws away and they get out of the car. There's only one parachute, so they're mm. just going to have to cling together. And he uses the remote control from Q or from IQ, excuse me, to keep the uh, DB5 in a continuous loop, ramming the cockpit. Yeah, keep the villains on their toes. Yeah, the the plane goes down. James and Tracy parachute out and Jaws jumps out, lands in a farmhouse, very much like in Moonraker. Yeah, I also like when they parachute out that he's holding her while he Mm -hmm. has the parachute. That is very intense for a cartoon and it feels like something that James Bond would do because it's dangerous <laughs> in mm. real life. So it works. Like even even though that's pretty mild stuff for a cartoon, I quite like that. So what was his name? Scumlord? Wasn't he on the Scum plane? Scumlord. He was. And we don't see him get out. We don't out. see him get out, but presumably he survives because I think he's in other episodes. They always do. Yeah. Yeah. So back at Warfield, Trevor is trying to bust James and say Look, he left the premises, and so he brings Mr. Milbanks over to his room, but James is already back in his room with the help of from IQ with a very long ladder. Just like Ferris Bueller would have done. <laughs> so find out from Mitchell that the EMP generator was actually never in the DB5, so all of that for nothing. Okay, I don't get this. It's what? such a weird way to end the episode. Why didn't they just say, yes, you saved the day, and you destroyed the EMP, and now no one can get it, 
because Why are you it more complicated? feels irresponsible from 007 giving James the car if there was that vital piece of technology there. Well, you know what? It's irresponsible anyway, because that this car is, is a deadly weapon. <laughs> this is very true. But I mean, if uh, yeah, but we find out that, yeah, 007 has sent him all the pieces of the DB5, but reconfigured into a fancy new sports car, the red Aston Martin Super Ultra. Is that a real car? That is what it's called. Okay, so I'm gonna assume no, but it, but that's American. That's the American uh-huh. influence because Americans yeah. love their sports cars yeah. as well. Doesn't somebody call them 007 right before they no. drive away? Somebody drops 007. Um, the 007 sent him the car. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Okay. With that, the episode ends, and also I, what I noticed was developed by Michael G. Wilson, who is one of the producers of the bon, current Bond Bond franchise, and copyright Dan Jack, who which is one of the production companies. Nice. So are we doing fact versus fiction and so on now? Yeah, or we'll do, do each do per episode because I got something for each. So do you have any favorite quotes from the first episode? The only favorite quote I have is uh, when in doubt, push a button. <laughs> That's pretty good. The dialogue goes so fast. It's kind of mm-hmm. hard to write down quotes. Oh, yeah. My favorite was just him saying Bond, James Bond, Junior. Yeah. <laughs> just the way it's like, all right, it's, for, it's that. And then adding the Junior. I don't know. It just it, 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 I liked it. For spy fact versus spy fiction, we have a few things here. An EMP or electromagnetic pulse. Have we talked about this before? I feel like we may have. Yeah, probably. Maybe in the Avengers. Uh, uh, It keeps coming off. It does, yeah. (laughs) But it's a brief burst of electromagnetic energy. Depending on the source, the origin of an EMP can be natural or artificial and can occur as an electromagnetic field, as an electric field or a magnetic field, or as a conducted electric current. The electromagnetic interference caused by an EMP disrupts communication and damages electronic equipment. I don't think yeah. it's possible to create it except from a nuclear bomb going off. Um, it's a side effect of a nuclear blast. It's a side effect of an atomic bomb blast. But except in science fiction, I don't think you can like make it with like a with like a device. But I don't it know. It can naturally happen, apparently. Like a thunderstorm or something? Lightning electromagnetic pulse, yeah. Or electrostatic discharge meteoric okay. emp oh like a meteor hitting the earth yeah mm-hmm. that makes sense well it's yeah. like a nuclear explosion in its own way power line surges technically are an emp so it seems like it should be possible to create one so there are according to wikipedia there are non-nuclear electromagnetic pulse weapons okay well that is according to wikipedia i have uh, no actual idea according to wikipedia all right yeah they're called nn emps which can be carried as ki- as payloads of bombs crew missiles and drones hmm yeah, I use that in, uh, top gun maverick <laughs> and lastly so you asked about if it's a real car the Aston uh-huh. martin super ultra not a real car N- nothing that was produced during that time is called anything remotely to that effect they're all in that era and even now they're all either virage vantage volante or db etc number um, the closest thing that name that they have to the Super Ultra is the Aston Martin DBS Super Ligera that was designed by the animators and later turned into a co- into a toy car, which I know people have. Oh, fun! Yeah, there was a whole toy range for James Bond Junior. I feel like I had one of his figures. I mean, it lends itself very well. It's a mm-hmm. cartoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Bond with his gadget. So, oh, do we want to rate per episode or per yeah. just the, in general? Yeah, we could do a rating per episode. I can go first. Okay, sure. 
okay. So as you know, I rate kids shows on a curve. <laughs> so like yeah, I, I'm more generous to stuff for kids. Spy Kids, I gave an eight out of ten because I thought it really worked. <laughs> so there is some stuff to like in this episode. I like that the stakes were pretty low, but it's still a product of its time. It didn't really do that much for me, so I'm going to give it a five out of ten. Wow, that's higher than I thought you were going to give it. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Super Friends level animation, and it held my interest. Okay. And as I mentioned, I really liked that it was all about the car and not about him. Um, yeah, so how do I want to rate this? I I mean, it worked for me. It's obviously not <laughs> the, a hallmark of cinema, but mm. it's a fun kid show, and I enjoyed the appearance of the DB5 as well as all of the other you know, little nods to the series. So, so yeah, I'll give it a 5.5. Just a slightly higher than you, but it's, you know, not that not that high. It's around yeah. average. Well, there's room to improve. I think I like the second episode a lot more. Our second episode is season one, episode nine, called The Eiffel Missile. The IMDb synopsis is, after encountering Skullcap and a daring airport escape, James Bond Jr. intercepts Dr. Derange's plans of launching a missile at the Eiffel Tower. It? I guess the IMDb didn't have their best people on that one. <laughs> well, it's all user-generated, so yeah. You get what you pay for. I didn't <laughs> know that guy's name was Dr. Derange. Yep. All right, well, we'll get to it. So we start off in our pre credit scene at the airport where James spots Skullcap, like we said. So there's a chase... Uh, Skullcap steals a plane and James chases after him with a stair car. Trying to figure out what the name of this thing is? I only know it from Arrested Development. That's how I know the name of it. That's well, that's better than I do. A running bit. <laughs> it's very James Bond that he mm -hmm. chases in an unusual vehicle like that. And he manages to uh, position it so that the stair car catches the wing and he jumps on board the plane. Can you imagine if this had been done in an actual movie, like with an actual stunt guy? It would have looked really good. That would have looked really good, yeah, I think so. He gets in the plane, they have a fight in the plane, he grabs the envelope, which uh, Skullcap found very important, and pushes an ejector seat button in a jet stream, like a Gulfstream j private jet, basically. I don't yeah, know what plane has that. Yeah, the implication is that it's a normal plane. It's not right. some kind of It wasn't of like a, skull or a scum plane it was just one that he stole so it's the future <laughs> planes have that in the future yeah. i also want to point out skullcap uses a laser gun ah yes he does again he does. yeah so they come back so apparently this is a running bit now so we go cut over to warfield where it's gym class and mitchell is calling roll and bond parachutes in he parachutes onto the field. Yep, this is yep. like something like Harry Potter. Like they're doing Quidditch and then he shows up on his broom at the last second. And once again, drops the name Bond, James Bond Jr. Yep. <laughs> so we go to the theme song. I think it's the same. I don't think they may like change anything for week to week in terms of like what the credits looks like. So it's not like they incorporate, you know, stuff from the episode or from out new episodes. <laughs> I know. I didn't think so. There are shows that do that, like even cartoons that will do that. But this is mm. not one of them. So James is in trouble yet again with Mr. Millbrooks, Millbanks. Mm -hmm. Something. Yeah. We find out that the class trip to Paris has been canceled because terrorists have smuggled a nuclear warhead into Paris and they've been warned to stay away. What about everyone else in Paris? Yeah, I guess they're just <laughs> SOL. I have a note that's like, 
nuclear weapon in Paris. Holy shit, the stakes just like <laughs> climbed up into the stratosphere. <sighs> Isn't that something you would want a real spy to be dealing with? Like actual James Bond, not James I Bond mean, Jr. Maybe not in Paris, there, but he've dealt with he's dealt with nukes in a variety of films. Right, exactly. James is in the gym and hitting a heavy bag as IQ is analyzing the envelope or is analyzing the plans that were in the envelope that he that James stole from Skullcap. Apparently for it's, it's for the Achilles missile, mm-hmm. which the nuclear warhead can be used with. Yeah, so I, I don't really want to nitpick because I understand the children's cartoon, but it's like yeah. you give the secret information to your uncle who you have his number <laughs> and let him deal with that. Like I wasn't expecting them to explain why they didn't just do that, but it would have been nice to have something like have him on the phone. It's like, Oh no, my uncle's not picking up. I guess we'll have to take care of it ourselves. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like they then have to do that for basically every single episode, which would be yeah, kind of it's, tiresome. It's tradition. It's like star Trek. We're the only ship in the quadrant. <laughs> They realize, all right, we can't go to our trip because of this, So, but we still want to do something about it. And Mitchell's like, well, you know, I, I can't help you in a way, but I can tell you when the front guard takes his coffee break. They mentioned in the first episode, they have this high, high-tech security system, and that never yeah. comes back. Well, it apparently is just terrible security. <laughs> apparently so. Well, I mean, it's a school. Yeah. A school with very important people. Anyway, so IQ makes a gadget to break the lock and Phoebe joins them by offering to buy their tickets because, as I said regarding the previous episode, she is filthy rich. And this is where I noticed for the first time Phoebe's voice. What <laughs> is up with her voice? Like Cartoon from the early 90s. It's, that's what it, what's up with it. She sounds like Beaker from the Muppets. <laughs> Her voice is like me, 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 me. I mean, she's supposed to be annoying. No, I understand that. And I understand it's a cartoon. Like, you can't actually understand what she's saying. Really? I had no issue. Uh, I did. Okay. <laughs> At this point, my note is like, is this a joke? I feel like I'm being pranked. <laughs> I guess she wasn't. She really only had like a few lines in the first episode. So I, I, you may have not noticed it. I didn't have an issue. I understand what archetype she was trying to be. So it just didn't bother me. What archetype is that? The annoying girl character. Who has a crush on James Bond, like Money Penny, yeah. and he, he doesn't notice mm-hmm. her. Yeah. Because James has been banned from the airport for a while, they <laughs> have to go by hovercraft. And while they're on the hovercraft, he uh, sees a girl there who is draw- has a little sketch. We find out her name is Marcy Boku. <laughs> And I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> that is what we tune into James oh, Bond for. Oh, man. Marcy Boku. That's and, great. And this is good because we get a little bit of like the flirting. Like, uh-huh. he makes time for the ladies, which is a James Bond thing. Even if they can't push it past the cartoon level, I still yeah. like that is there. So she is an art student. She volunteers to guide them around Paris because none of them have been before. Although I find... If Phoebe is as stinking rich as she as she seems to be, I find it hard to believe she's never been to Paris and can't guide them around herself. Yeah, but let's face it, she looks like she has social anxiety. Oh, I bet she never leaves her house without her buddies until Marcy goes outside. Her pencil turns into a radio, <laughs> and she re- reports to whoever's on the other end of that radio that James is looking for the warhead, and as 
this is happening, we see that Skullcap is in a helicopter above the hovercraft. Okay, I think Marcy calls him 007. No, I have a he note says that. 007's nephew is looking for... Okay, so apparently everyone on the planet knows that knows. he's 007's nephew. Mm-hmm. His teachers know, his friends know, everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Or anyone in the intelligence community, apparently. Mm. So do Scum. Scum knows who he is. There you go. Young Bond. Yes. Well, that was before the show even started. Uh-huh. That happened. Back inside the hovercraft, Tracy doesn't trust Marcy. There's a little jealousy. And then actually she points out that, you know, you're trusting her to guide us around, but you just met her. It was like, yes, fair point, Tracy. Yeah, but it's what Bond does. <laughs> So Skullcap attacks the hovercraft. At one point, IQ deflects a laser blast with a serving tray. That was great. Yeah. This is like Speed 2. <laughs> I've never actually seen Speed 2. Don't watch it. I didn't think so. <laughs> James takes the hovercraft onto the land. They, I like this move. So Skullcap is firing some heat-seeking missiles at them. They dump a bunch of extra fuel. Gorda shoots it with a flare gun, and it throws off the heat-seeking missile. Yeah, this part was really exciting. Like, the motion effects looked really good. It was a little undermined when he survives kind of <laughs> ridiculously, but it is still a cartoon, so mm-hmm. whatever. They finally get to Paris. Tracy is jealous of Marcy again. James asks Marcy to a dinner cruise on the Seine. And <laughs> yeah, he's not wasting any time. No. no, there's a comment made about um, this artist who's dr- sketching the Eiffel Tower, and uh, James makes says like, "Oh, you know, these impressionist painters are so whatever." I don't something. <laughs> and IQ says, "All right, the important thing that we need to look for is a gantry because the I- because the missile needs a gantry to launch." So they're looking all around for it, and then Marcy begs, asks the most important question: "What's a gantry?" Oh. It's a giant structure made up of steel beams. And I'm sure the audience no one... of children wanted to know as well. And the audience of me wanted to know. Oh, I, like I said, I knew what Gantry was. And so they say this. Oh, well, I haven't seen anything like that anywhere around here as they're in the Eiffel Tower. It's dramatic irony. <laughs> uh. All right. So later that night, Bond and Marcy are going out of the town and he's wearing a tuxedo. There we go. Red bow tie, that's different. (laughs) Uh, Did you pick this one just because he wears a tuxedo in it? Also, just I like this one. Okay, that's fine too. because of the tuxedo and also because you you have a lot of the Bond tropes in this one. You meet Mm -hmm. the girl with the funny name, you have the plot (laughs) in another country, you have action, and it's, it's, yeah. You even have a gadget scene here where IQ is giving him a bunch of options for gadget. We have a French bread sword, a beret landmine. But the thing that he actually takes is the watch with a homing signal and an acetylene torch. Yeah, go with the simple stuff. This is also like in License to Kill when Q shows up at his hotel room with gadgets. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of Q following him around with gadgets. (laughs) Right. So he says they'll meet everyone at the opera house at midnight, which I did not connect later until later on. Oh, this is supposed to be the Opera Garnier, the opera house that's in Paris, and also the Opera House from The Phantom of the Opera. Oh, I never I mean, when that. you mention Opera House in Paris, that's the one. But but why are they meeting them there? And why at midnight? Good question. No <laughs> idea. <not> <laughs> so, on the dinner cruise, uh, we have James asking Marcy who she really is. Apparently, she mistook an Impressionist painting for Expressionist painting. 
So she's clearly not an art student. Also, the sketch that she had of James was in pen, but only she only had pencils on her. So that was something that was given to her. I was like, this is actually pretty good, you know, detective work from James and explains why he was so quick to get her to join her because she, he wanted more information about who she is. Yeah, keep your enemies closer. So the pen thing is great. The yeah. expressionist and precious thing reminded me of Batman 66. Again. <laughs> really? No. Yeah. We'll get to it in Spy Effect versus Spy Fiction. It's just like knowing the difference between expressionist and impressionist seems like something Batman would know, not so much James Bond. Mm. Also something Flint okay. would know. Go back and watch some of these, like especially the Connery and, uh-huh. and Roger Moore films. I mean, even in Rough for Mushroom Love, the with fish, that's weird. You must be, there's something <laughs> wrong with you. Or he's an expert in all these random things like lepidoptery, which is the study of butterflies in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So this is not... All a right, weird well, there thing you go, for then. James Bond. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, but as they're having this discussion, we find that ridiculous French waiter <laughs> is actually Dr. Derange, a scum villain. I was like, ooh, two villains. Yeah. Nice. Dr. Derange interrupts the date. We find out that Marcy knows Savat, which is the French martial art dealing with kicking. Did, they, I missed that. That's great. I just yeah. saw her fighting. Oh, yeah, no, then like she that. mentions like that her father taught her Savat. It has now become very popular in action movies to have tiny women kick a gigantic stunt guy and he goes flying back. It's nice to see it done here, too. (laughs) (laughs) It's truly ahead of its time. I mean, honestly, if they were going to learn anything, I would say judo or something similar would be good because it's really about using your opponent's size and momentum and weight against them. Sure, but they got a cartoon to crank out every week. Also, French uh... Savat is actually a French martial arts, so it makes sense. Yeah, is that what Bantrock does? No, Bantrock, he might actually do Savat, now that I think about it. Um, Yeah. Anyway, so we find out that Marcy's father is with the French police, and that Mitchell contacted her father. So that's how she knew to look for him. They go into the French sewers to find Dr. Derange and Skullcap, because that's where they disappeared to afterwards. Obligatory zero level. (laughs) So we find out that Dr. Derange is a scum scientist uh, who wants to cause chaos. They lose Dr. Derange and Scumlord, but as they're in the sewers, James realizes that the Eiffel Tower is the gantry. So they follow the sewers the best and fastest way to the Eiffel Tower. The rest of the kids are waiting for James and Marcy at the Opera Garnier. It's past midnight, so they go and try to find him. (laughs) <laughs> this part is not the, the tightest writing. Yeah. yeah. So James and Marcy find Dr. Derange working on the missile in, in the sewers underneath the Eiffel Tower to launch the missile at Moscow to start World War III and end Perestroika. Ooh, very relevant. Uh, <laughs> very political for a cartoon. All right, so that's what dates this cartoon, so it can't be in the future because Perestroika was only a thing in in the early 90s. <laughs> Maybe it's like a Command and Conquer alternative universe where the Soviet <laughs> Union just hung around forever. Uh, hold on to that thought for next week. <laughs> okay. So Skullcap catches James and Marcy as they're watching Dr. Derange. They get strapped to the missile, and at that point, James activates the homing device in his watch. Okay, so the getting tied to the missile thing. So did yeah. you ever play the old game Evil Genius that I told you about? No, I never. Or actually, I think I played a mobile version of it briefly. But I didn't really play it too much. Why? Okay, so there's this old computer game called Evil Genius where you play a James Bond villain and it's a base builder. 
where you're mm-hmm. most of the time you're building a base. And it's not a very good game. It has a very frustrating <laughs> mechanic where you uh, tell a guy to do something and he sort of does it whenever he feels like it interesting. A, instead of right away, like in something like Starcraft. But yeah. the villains of the game, the antagonists of the game are people that are very clearly based on 70s spies. And the main one is James Bond. And the All way right. you defeat him is by doing exactly this. Is <laughs> tying him to your big missile. And then when it launches, that's when you win the game. That's interesting. The other kids have gone to find the gendarmes, uh, but apparently speak zero French at all. Mm-hmm. And they can't get the police to understand that they that you know they have James's location on a homing device on the watch, and instead apparently have confessed to stealing watches, so they get arrested. I do appreciate that IQ's as smart as he is, it's only in certain areas. Like he's not just good <laughs> at everything. Right. Because if you if he was, why would he need James to do anything? Well, he can't fight. He's just smart. But mm. that being said, this whole subplot was a big waste of time because it didn't tie <laughs> into the overall story at all. No. It's very frustrating. Yeah, well, they well because they needed to have something for them to do because they want James to be the one to, you know, save the day by himself. Well, I don't really love the idea of James Bond having a whole entourage anyway, but it's I'm, a cartoon. You so. had to, it's, it's it's a cartoon in the in the early '90s, so you had to have the whole thing because merchandising. You had to have char- characters, so you could have more action figures. You can't just have every action figure be James Bond Jr. with a different outfit. Well, I think Batman would disagree. He doesn't mm-hmm. have an entourage. <laughs> this is Tim. Sometimes Robin and Nightwing. And Batgirl, those and the were other like Batgirl, at the end. And Huntress, <laughs> and <laughs> well, Huntress is not in the cartoon. The other two were like in the last season. Uh, Alfred, yeah, no one's buying an action figure of Alfred. Give me a break. <laughs> Sorry, Alfred. You know I'm right though. Uh... <laughs> Anyways, <you laughs> Anyways, <say> I would get <laughs> the missile is about to launch, but James uses the torch on his watch to cut their chains and disconnects the guidance system. Uh, mm-hmm. grabs a giant spool of apparently heavy-duty du- wire and uses the zip line off of the Eiffel Tower. This was also cool. It yeah, would have yeah, fit like... right in a James Bond movie. So the missile launches into space instead. And Okay, yeah. this whole... Th- you'll notice the camera doesn't pan up because the uh-huh. Eiffel Tower goes to a point. Where did the <laughs> missile go? Through. It's not explained. Through. <laughs> Come on, you guys. <laughs> Dr. Derange and Skullcap get away. Yes. For a taunt on the computer uh, yes. screen. I'll get you next time, young Bond, or something to that effect. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> First you gadget. Uh-huh. So Marcy and James go to the gendarmes, find her father. Everyone else gets released, and Marcy gives says goodbye and gives James a kiss. Yeah. And everyone comes up to him and see that he's seems okay. shaken. Oh, but no, he's not shaken, but stirred. No, he has a boner. God. What? Come on, that's clearly the implication. Zach, Zach, Zach. This is a kid <laughs> show. Hey, you ever seen The Little Mermaid? They got stuff like that in there. Okay, you know, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but that was the priest's <laughs> knee. That was not a boner. Sure it was. Uh, I hate that I knew exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> I'm just saying they got away with stuff back then. Uh-huh. So the kids arrive back at Warfield in time for gym class. And Mr. Milbank says that the threat is over and the Paris trip is back on. All so right. So they're going to go right back and maybe, you know, James will get another smooch from Marcy. That was and some good that, irony, too. <laughs> and with that, the episode ends. Yeah. 
Uh, so, heat-seeking missiles, otherwise known as uh, infrared homing, is a passive weapon guidance system which uses the infrared light emission from a target to track and follow it. Missiles which use infrared seeking are often referred to as heat seekers since infrared is strongly radiated by hot bodies. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> this what? is a kid show episode. You, you said that. <laughs> I was trying to find, look up to see if they could be diverted by like a giant fire, and that is the basic uh, principle behind using flares. So I would say, yeah. Okay. Impressionistic style versus expressionistic. <laughs> style mm-hmm. impressionism uh is based in the real world but they paint the scene as if they glanced at it only in a moment whereas expressionism is f- directly focused on the emotional response to the artist in the real world using disproportionate sizes odd angles and painted in vivid intense colors so impressionists you know, it'll look like the real world basically if you only look at it for a second but it should still look like the real world whereas expressionists will look almost surreal, but not surrealism, because that's a whole different thing. <laughs> and yes, that's correct. Yeah. So, uh, lastly, a gantry is also known as a service structure uh, you, that's built on a rocket launch pad to facilitate assembly and servicing. So it's used to guide the rocket ship when it is being launched, and also to get the uh, astronauts, if there are astronauts, into and out of the spacecraft. All right. Uh, lastly, Perestroika <laughs> was a political movement for reform within co- the Communist Party of the Soviet Union during the late 80s, widely associated with Mikhail Gorbachev and his glasnost or openness policy. The literal meaning of Perestroika is reconstruction. So, yeah, during the Gorbachev's era, we had glasnost and Perestroika. It's like repairing relations between the mm-hmm. two countries. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what I got for Spy Fact versus Fiction for this episode. Uh, yeah, I didn't have any. All Except right. for that thing about the Eiffel Tower it has a top. So a missile can't oh. just go through it. Um, I did have actually something about that. So this is not the f- the only time that I've seen um, the, the Eiffel Tower uses a gantry. It also appears in the, I don't remember what year it came out, in the Disney film Tomorrowland, where there's a rocket inside the Eiffel Tower, and it actually splits open. Ooh, neat. Yeah, and if you haven't seen Tomorrowland, it's a fun film. Oh, nobody saw it, as far as I can recall. No, which was I saw it, and so and uh, it was sad because it was really good, but everyone else went and saw Mad Max Fury Road instead. Ooh, that's a good movie too. Never seen it. All right, all right. Any favorite quotes? Uh, actually, yes. Even though it went quickly, I all liked right. when uh, the the explosive beret. Uh huh. Bond says, that would blow my mind. I don't Uh, want to take all of yours. No, no, I've only got one, so go ahead. Okay, and then my one other one is something I love. Bond Uh says, or maybe it's uh, Marcy says, he really is a bad scientist. He even talks to himself. (laughs) So my one is when uh, Bond is at the airport and they ask anything to declare. And he says, yes, that's an agent of scum. And it really, it literally is just an agent of scum just hanging Uh out there. Yep, yep, yep. After the fight on the romantic cruise is over, Uh Bond says to Marcy, I see that's how you get your kicks or something like that. (laughs) Uh, Which I I feel like that's something the real James Bond would say. Well, he does actually. There you Uh, go. And for Mushroom Love, um, there's a woman with a Rosa Klebb with the 
Yeah, knife the, the steel boots. knife. All right, yeah. And when she dies, he says, "Well, she got had her. She got her kicks." I like the one in the cartoon better. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, oh, so I realized I should have done. I don't know when I was going to do this, but actually, I have some sort of general notes about the show. Uh, specifically, I read uh, the section about the show in this book called The Lost Adventures of James Bond by Mark Edlitz, where he mm-hmm. read the show Bible, which if you aren't familiar with, anytime you have a TV show, they create this thing called the show Bible, which is like all the rules of the show, backgrounds, mm-hmm. character designs, etc. And he also interviewed a bunch of people who worked on the show, including someone who directed one of the episodes, as well as who people who wrote a bunch of the episodes. They didn't have anything really good in terms of uh, like to talk about specifically about the episodes we watched. Uh-huh. But James Bond Jr.'s parents apparently were an archaeologist. His mother's archaeologist. His father was a linguist, and they're missing due to an incident with scum. So there's this whole this whole underlying story of he's looking for scum because he's trying to find his parents. Oh. Never in the show itself, but that was the background. Oh, like Peter Parker. Only in the bad adaptations of Peter Parker. <laughs> and some of the comics, yeah. Um, the producers did plan to have 007 himself show up from time to time just to check in on young James, but that didn't happen. I think partially mm-hmm. because they would have to figure out who would play, like be a voice actor for 007. As we saw in this episode, or in both episodes, characters from the film franchise did show up in there. So we, in addition to the ones we saw, we also had... Go, um, Odd Job, Goldfinger, and uh, I think Knickknack on oh, Doctor No shows up as well. So oh my gosh! Yeah, there's a lot who show up, but then you also had new villains such as Doctor Derange, and also new additions like Goldie Finger, who's Goldfinger's daughter. Oh yeah, it's like Gotham. I thought they would have stuck with that. <laughs> now this is not the first uh, appearance of a James Bond Junior. Oh yeah. In fact, in 1967, there was a spin-off novel called The Adventures of James Bond Jr. 003 and a Half. Oh, that sounds like a parody. And, mm, well, yes and no. It was written under a pseudonym, but it was officially licensed. Yeah. Uh, I've never read it. It is on my to-read list because I'm just mildly curious about, you know, how much of this was actually, you know, in... Mm-hmm. Or how much was was inspired the TV show? All right. So with that, do we want to go to our ratings for this episode? Uh, yeah, I can go first. I thought this episode was quite enjoyable. It held my attention. It didn't feel dated. Mm-hmm. Like the effects looked good. It was exciting. It didn't really bother me that that other plot line was pointless because you spent so little time with it. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna give this a seven out of ten. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was good. The tuxedo helped. <laughs> you that's all you wanted just young bond in a tuxedo yeah, i'm a simple man i have simple tastes <laughs> i don't know if i can go a whole seven but i can definitely give it a six out of ten i enjoy this a lot i like this one better than the other one looking at the other things that we've given like a six a seven out of ten i can't i can't do it all right well wow, this is probably got to be the first time that you've rated something higher than me that was related to james bond it's possible <laughs> You're definitely the fanboy, and I'm not. Okay, well, thank you for joining us for our first episode of Rerun Summer. We will be back next week with a new two episodes about a new series. Thank you for joining us here on The Spy-Fi Guys. You can find us on social media at The Spy-Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are The Spy-Fi Guys, signing off. 
Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.